Hi, Bodie. How are you? I'm very well, thank I, you. Um, I'm so happy to be here filling in for Brad Spillane and hosting the Men's Mental Health Show. And I, because I have actually been a keen listener for a long, long time. And uh, I love hearing about your garden. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it's firing ahead uh, at the moment with all the rain and heat. Uh, so my veggie garden and the native garden is just beautiful. Yeah, well done. Yeah, That's it. fantastic. It's my therapy. Um, uh, among other sorts of therapies that I've done it, um, in terms of my training and, and background and that sort of stuff. And uh, when I get stuck, um, I certainly go and find someone to chat with. Um, particularly a, a, a woman therapist really works for me. Um, um, so that's really interesting. Um, but garden is an adjunct. It's like a meditation. Once I'm in the garden and I'm talking to the plants, um, there's a stillness uh, inside me. The mind's not chattering. I'm just... Uh, living in the moment. Living in the moment. Mm. And, uh, so it's one of my great pleasures that, that in reading um, where I also lose myself. In the yeah, me too. Um, I love it too. I've been working on a veggie patch. I had to clear a whole corner of my yard and then I got two big planter boxes and I've filled them with big lumps of wood because apparently um, they work really well for filtration and they hold moisture from rain. Yes. So I'm filling them with wood first, big chunks of firewood uh, and um, then I'll get some soil delivered and start planting. So I'll have to, yeah, pick your brain later and see what, what I should start planting. Yes. So Bodhi, yeah, it's really nice for me to finally meet you because I have, it's nice to put a face to the name because I've been a long time listener of the Men's Mental Health Show. I think Brad does fantastic work. Actually, I've been moved to tears. Yeah. I've been driving along with my son who's 14 in the car and then, and we've arrived at our destination and we were listening to Brad and I think he was interviewing an ex-policeman who had had some PTSD and he had anger issues and my son and I were both just riveted and didn't want to get out of the car when we arrived at our destination. And I was moved, I've been moved to tears many times on this show. He really does cover some important topics. So to, oh, together, the two of you do good work. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. So and, lovely and to meet you. Thank you. And um, it's lovely to have um, three women on the show today. I know. Hats off to Brad for letting <laughs> letting us drive. Yeah, Not yeah. all men let women drive. No. <laughs> so uh, I don't know if that means something. but Well, what, uh, what it means for me is that um, uh, men's mental health is, um, is, is not a thing that stands alone. I think it stands in relationship with, uh, with women. So uh, um, I think it's a crucial sort of kind of issue. True. Men's mental health affects all of us, yep, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and men's mental health is powerfully affected by the, by the good women in their lives. And when things get stuck, um, uh, you know, mental health can actually really uh, bolt into the hills, if you like. So, um, you know, we're more dependent on, on each other um, you know, for our well-being, um, and um, when we understand that and grasp it, you know, then there are, then we start moving back towards each other again. So, you know, because I think we're powerfully attracted to um, historically, um, genetically, and all of that, um, and emotionally. Um, so, yeah. And that's what a, a true companion is: is there to pick the other up when one is down. Absolutely. Together, we make a great team if we can support each other. Yeah. So, absolutely. Yeah, your show does a lot to foster that. So let's introduce the two, uh, our two guests today, Penny and Eleni. Eleni? Eleni. Eleni, lovely to meet you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for coming all the way from the northern beaches in Sydney. <laughs> Thanks to the for beautiful Blue Mountains. Yeah. Yeah. Excited to be here. We yep. arrived just that afternoon and relaxed in and had a little wander around and just grounded ourselves, really. Yep. And, That's great. Um, you know, we were able just to 
discuss, you know, the points that we wanted to sort of bring up and validate today. So um, that's given us that time this morning as well. Yeah, so we're we'll really good. looking forward to the next um, hour and a half. And you're staying at the Carrington, I believe. A little we shout are. out to the Carrington, yeah. because the Carrington Hotel is an institution in Katoomba, mm -hmm. and it's a huge supporter of Radio Blue Mountains. Actually, we have so, so many good sponsors and really tight programming here at Radio Blue Mountains mm -hmm. at the moment. This has been a real, uh, we're going gangbusters this year. Fantastic. I know a lot of other people are struggling, but um, mm. we love our community radio and all our supporters, including Noel Pope from the Lawson Post Office News, news Agency. I shop there because my kids go to Coral and the news agency at Hazelbrook closed down, so I go there to get school supplies. And also shout out to Dale Hunt from the Mounties Group and the Mounties Board. And of course, Bodhi. Yep, yep we will uh, share your details and your experience later as a psychotherapist. Yep. You're available to as a local uh, therapist here in the Blue Mountain. That's correct. So yeah, we thank all our sponsors and I'm mm -hmm. um, so glad that you're having a good time in the mountains and at the Carrington, Eleni and Penny. Yep, thank you. Thank you. So you've, um, you've known Brad for a long time and watched each other go through a lot of ups and downs. Would either of you who would like to go first and share some of those ups and downs with us? Wow, um, I've known Brad for probably 20 plus years. I worked with Brad in uh, real estate, and um, that sort of we, you know, we saw the highs and lows of um, economics to begin with. Um, we also saw within that culture how, um, you know, the sexual harassment from dominantly males within that real estate industry were there. Really? Um, See, I, I must be, pardon my ignorance, but I didn't realise until I was preparing for our meeting that the real estate agents um, industry is actually quite macho and a little bit sexist, is it? Absolutely. Oh, right. Mm -hmm. And sort of, and, and I'm going back 15 years. Look, you know, I hope that the industry has changed mm. now, yet I still know, you know, so many local real estate agents. However, when we were there, you know, it, it wasn't uncommon to walk out into the back sales room and, you know, the guys to be, you know, putting their hands up your skirt. Right. That was common practice. Just part of the culture. It was just part of the culture, you know, and the rumour mills within the office of, you know, who was sleeping with who, right. for example. And it's just like, it just, yeah, the, you'd walk out the back mm. and, you know, the guys would have... They wouldn't have the real estate listing on the screen. It would be, you know, something that was more sexually orientated really? on the screen that we would have to then walk out and see. And they'd all, you know, quickly try to shut their, you know, their screens down or really come on over, share this. And, and you must have, have been quite young on. then too. And, you know, once you see something, you can't unsee it. So mm. I'm sorry that you were subjected to all that. Mm. I didn't realise that it was like that. Yeah, it was an incredible... You probably didn't realise when you went into that industry, you probably just... No. Went for all sort of office jobs you were, could get and you got that one and probably you, went into it you do. eyes blinded. And I've left jobs because of sexual harassment. I've left them after one day when, you know, someone's rung back and the next day and go, where are you? You're, you should have been here by nine. And I'll go, Now well, that you know, because you don't want to experience that again. Because I experienced yes. it on the first day from a director's son right. who thought, well, my dad's the boss. Yeah. I can actually do this mm -hmm. to Penny. And you didn't feel you could speak up and, and tell them that's not appropriate, well, stop he, that. Well, you know, the father director wasn't there that day, but I just 
you know, when they phoned me the next day to ask me where I was, I just said, I won't be back because your son sexually harassed me yesterday. I said, that's not the culture of work that I, I, I would like to work in, uh, so I won't you. be back. But you need to address your issues, otherwise your business will go down the drain. Oh, well done for speaking out. Mm. But it takes a lot of guts to stand mm. up to men in power. And, mm-hmm. you know, financially we all need a job. We've got bills to pay. Mm-hmm. So it's not easy to stand up for mm. yourself sometimes, is mm. it? But now I certainly do. Yes. Um, if you'd asked me five years ago, uh, five and a half years ago, when um, I I made the decision to take my life <gasps> and um, uh, I was a totally different person. Just five years ago? Yes. Five, it'll be six years in February. I'm um, so glad that you're here with us today. Yeah, I'm so look, glad that I'm here. And you've got you're smiling and yep, I'm, I'm, you look I'm healthy and happy. Blessed. Yep. So, and you know, so Brad and I have more in common than just real estate. Um, uh, mm. You know, Brad and I have been in rehabs together. Um, you know, we've 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 had a long journey. We've had right. a long history. Right. Um, so. But now I'm a totally different person. I have the strength. I have the strength to stand up to anyone who mistreats me or berates me or doesn't have a basic human decency towards me. Mm -hmm. So I look at the balance of scales. We were just talking about that before we came Mm. on air. And I have to have that balance. It's like a, a, a set of scales in the court. If you can't treat me how I deserve to be treated and how I would treat you as a, as a human being, then I, and it probably sounds a little bit harsh, but I won't let you in my bubble because I deserve better, you know. Mm-hmm. And as I said, my suicide was five and a half years ago and I spent months in hospital. I had to learn how to rewalk, build my face. Um, it was just horrific and it was horrific for my entire family. Um, my life completely changed after um, finding out that a family member had, um, you know, been extremely deceitful within my family group and that really tipped me over the right. edge. So, um, and I'm sorry that you sound like you've really hit rock bottom. Uh, rock bottom is an understatement. You right. actually go into... Um, and Bodie would probably agree mm. with me that you actually, once you make that decision to to end your life, you, you're actually blank within your head. And I can remember my partner saying to me, um, I don't understand why you wanted to leave me. And I said, I didn't want to leave you. I wanted to stop mm. the madness in my brain. Mm. I didn't want to leave my children and my granddaughter. I didn't want to do that but your brain completely turns off. It's completely empty of any emotional, devoid of emotional. Right. I turned, you know, I'd Mm. made my choice where I went. I turned my phone off. And you feel like that's the only option right now. It was, yeah, I could see the end. You're not thinking clearly about everybody else. I was, you know, I'd made my decision two days prior and I had a very clear routine of what I was going to do on that day. Wow. Uh, it was very structured, very planned. Can I ask you what did you do? Certainly. So um, on that on that morning, um, we'd only just moved into our new house with my partner and I. Were you happy in that relationship with your partner? Yes. Yep. Yep. Um, he was having an operation on... The, we moved into the house on Friday. Mm-hmm. He was having an operation on the Monday morning. So I, drew, I drove him to the hospital. 
and we had an argument downstairs um, saying you need to take the keys and he was like, you know, no, they told me not to take anything personal and we had this argument of throwing keys across mm. the bonnet of the car to the point he just went, oh, well, yeah, bugger it, not in, in, uh, in other words, and took the keys. So I drove him to our local hospital. He got out of the car. He was quite... We, you know, it was a speechless drive, 20-minute drive to the hospital. He got out of the car and he was like, bye. I was like, goodbye. And I watched him walk off and I was like, goodbye, I'll never see you again. And I drove home, I saw somebody drive past me that I knew and I was like, oh, there's such and such, mm. goodbye. I won't see them again. I won't see them again. Um, literally got back home, um, picked up as many pills that I had through my bipolar. I'd had um, quite a collection of, um, you know, tablets over the years that, that I just been... hadn't disposed of. Yeah, so and you started was... stockpiling? Yeah. So, um, unfortunately, so I gathered them all up, went to a motel. Um, basically, the guy turned my phone off because my partner um, uh, is a police officer. So, I knew that they'd do a triangulation on my phone. So, I was smarter. <laughs> and um, You'd thought of everything. So, I'd thought mm. of everything on that day. Despite being, uh, you know, despite having such a... Yeah, befuddled you know, mind. It, it, yeah. I bet you the dishes were done and, you, exactly. and the washing was done. <laughs> exactly. And I'm out oh, of there I, to the point where I went home and chose a pretty dress mm. to, to, to die mm. in. And I was like, yeah, that's got bling on it. I like bling. Mm. You know, I'm a blingy girl. Mm. So, you know, chose that. Um, you know, got to, got to the hotel, this really dingy hotel. And um, the guy, I said to the guy, oh, you know, I just need a room. He goes, oh, you know, it's not. It was just after 10. I'd been to the bank, we drew some money, the bank manager knew me by name, gave me the money, I went into a supermarket, she asked me how I was, how's your day? I said, it can only get better from here. Mm. Um, drove to the motel, booked in, he said, you can't book in until 2pm and I looked at it, I was like, oh my God, it's quarter past 10. I said, oh, that's a bit, oh dear. He said, look, look, give me 20 minutes, I'll get you a room. So within 20 minutes I had a room, set myself all up. You were um, dying to die. I was dying to die. So, and I knew that, you know, my partner was under an anaesthetic. It'd be about six hours before the hospital would ring me um, to say, come and collect him. Um, and by that time, I would have been very, very dead. Um, Did you think about how he would feel when he woke up and got the news? Or you just blanked that out of your mind? I blanked You just every, didn't go there? Everything blanked out of my mind. What I didn't want to do was um, take my own life in our new home mm. of three days. I didn't want my partner to find me. Mm. So that's why I went to a motel. You were very considerate. Very considerate, but probably not considerate of the housemaid that I presumed mm. would have found my body. There were things that I did on that day in the hotel. I didn't realise that I walked out of the hotel room and sat in the bar for two hours and drank water. My partner told me that um, probably about a year ago. Um, and then in the last two years, I've started to have a few flashbacks of that day. Oh. So to cut a long story short, I basically took, um, you know, approximately 600 tablets and drank some alcohol. I got in a shower and um, which I didn't remember till uh, vague memories about a year ago and when I passed out, I fell over the hob of the shower and smashed my face into the toilet bowl. And then I laid there for 11 hours. So the nurses from the hospital were ringing, obviously, mm. to say, um, you know, your partner's ready to be picked up. And, um, you know, then my partner started ringing, you know, where are you, Pen? You know, I'm ready to be picked up. 
he soon realised that I wasn't answering and then he was concerned because of my behaviour that morning. He then rang a, another police officer um, to say, could you come and pick me? I'm not allowed to drive, I don't have a vehicle. And he was the other side of Sydney, so he, he said to the hospital staff, oh, my mate's out the front ready to go. He got, got in a cab and came home. He then rang my children um, and my ex-husband and um, was, you know, trying to find out, you know, where I was. Um, then they all... He, he even tried to report me missing and um, our local police station said, oh, she hasn't been gone long enough, which is, you know, it's just such a fallacy. And, you know, we talk about this. It doesn't matter if you've been missing, you know, an hour or 24 hours. It's just like, if you've got a real concern, then you should be listed as, a, you know, mm. as a missing person. Um, so, you know, they, by late afternoon and nightfall, my kids were out looking for me, my partner, my ex-husband, my ex-husband then found my car um, as he was driving home. He was looking in hotel car parts. He found my car and then told my partner and um, him and the other police officer um, found my car and kicked the door in and then found me in the bathroom. Um, I, I wasn't breathing. I didn't have a pulse. I was blue. They commenced CPR and um, the paramedics arrived and in incubated me and I was put in... Um, um, I went to Royal North Shore and um, I was in a coma for a week on life support for a week and um, they had no idea whether, you know, I would live or die. Um, I did ask my partner if they got to a point where they would had asked him whether we should turn off the machines, of which they hadn't. Thankfully they didn't because I wouldn't be here today sharing my story and other things that I want to talk about today. And um, about a week later, um, they rang my partner and my, I'd wiggled my toes and my eyes blinked and they said, look, really not sure what's happening a here. A week later. Um, and so they all rushed and I woke up. Um, I, you know, I woke up gagging because I was, you know, incubated. And, you know, I could hear the nurses saying, you know, just cough, which is to, you know, get the tubes out of your throat. And I remember opening my eyes and, and I thought... Oh, bother, <laughs> in stronger words, I'm still here. Mm. And I, I looked to my partner, he was on my right-hand side and he was just crying and my kids at the feet of my bed crying and I was like, who resuscitated me? And um, my partner said, I did. And I, I was so angry. I was so angry, you know, still very heavily drugged. Um, and then sort of dozed back off, you know, into just, you know, because they were... So I spent, you know, a few more days in ICU um, before, you know, I got out um, and went to a ward and then I had a 24-hour guard on me the entire time that I was in Royal North Shore Hospital before I was transferred to East Wing in Manly, um, before I was then transferred to a private um, rehab of where um, my life changed. Okay. Let's take a break. Uh, we're talking to Penny. It's part of the men Men's Mental Health Show. But today we're talking to Penny about her heart-rending suicide story on Radio Blue Mountains 89.1. This is Radio Blue Mountains and we're having a pretty heart-to-heart -heart chat with Penny Holbrook talking about her suicide attempt and what she's done since then. So, Penny, that, that 
was a really hard story to hear and I'm sure it's hard to tell even though you say you've told it quite a few times. Mm-hmm. I just was wondering before we move on, when did you switch from feeling like, oh damn, I'm still here to, okay, I'm, I'm starting to feel happy to be alive again? Yep. Um, after a week in ICU and then it was probably once I got transferred to the ward um, and, you know, my family and cousins all started appearing near my bed and, and, and some friends. We did keep it quite low-key um, just so that it wasn't... I didn't feel overwhelmed by people. Um, the thing... The th- one of the things is, is that, unfortunately, genetics is passed down, you know. So I do have bipolar, of which my mum had bipolar... Sorry, can when was when were you diagnosed with bipolar? How how long Ooh. before your suicide attempt? Oh goodness, I was about twenty three. Okay. So thirty years ago, I'm fifty three now. Okay. And when I was twenty three, my mum completed her suicide. When you were twenty three. Mm-hmm. So I lost my mum at twenty three. Um, and is that true, Bodhi, that bipolar can be hereditary? Uh, yes, there is um, some um, um, some some evidence that it is handed on. Um, whether there's um, genetic um, activity that actually switches it on, or, or um, you know, there's there's a big story um, in that. But the, there is um, uh, um, genetics certainly do play a part. They they argue that um, it's not an automatic, mm-hmm. uh, but mm. if the right situations emerge, right. Um, that uh, res- that gene can. Um, uh, uh, start to activate um, hmm. and bring that, bring that, th- those mental health characteristics in, into play. Right. And I, and I, was, I sort of wanted to sort of say that um, the, you know, the power and control issues of the dominant male um, and being subordinate to, as a worker and then exposed to sexual harassment and that sort of stuff, you know, it does infantilise, doesn't it? I mean, it's, it's such an assault on um, your own sort of inherent sense of self. And you could argue that that exposure to constant power and control by dominant males um, um, environmentally activated um, a gene uh, that had potential. Oh, um, really? It, yeah, yeah. How fascinating. So environmental factors um, will, can, can um, uh, cause a gene which is sitting in the background um, to, to actually um, fire, start, start Wow, I never up. knew this. Yeah. I so, knew... So, right, so yeah. if you've had a suicide, if your parents have felt had suicidal ideology, then it's possible that their offspring might have more of a propensity yes, to suicide under certain circumstances. Absolutely. Right. So it's well known that if there's suicide in the family that's been successful, um, it becomes an idea um, wow. that's, uh, that's a go-to, okay. that's an option. Right. And there's an eight times increased risk of actually uh, following the same pattern. Yes, I've heard um, that, eight yeah, times, yeah, that's absolutely. right. So, 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 so that, th- these are all sort of phenomenological facts that, that, that do exist in the literature. They are realities. Right. But it is such an interesting idea, isn't it, that, um, that if uh, people had treated you well, you, you said, I wanted decency, mm. um, that that um, um, uh, bipolar may have been part of your excitability but not necessarily um, something that, that uh, started to distort your capacity to reason and to think and to live well in this world. Mm. And also you said that you'd been bitterly betrayed by somebody. Somebody let yeah. you down yeah. and oh, that hugely. was the trigger for feeling was, like, yeah. Mm. Yeah, I can't felt, cope with this anymore. As I've said it before, I felt, I'd let my, I, I felt like I'd failed as a mother. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt 
I'd failed as a grandmother. I felt like I'd failed as a wife. Right. I felt like I'd failed as an ex-wife. I felt like I'd failed to my partner who, you know, yep. uh, and possibly a new husband. So I just felt that there was absolutely nothing there. Mm-hmm. And the bewildering mm-hmm. thing when I looked back on it years later, I realised that my youngest daughter was 23 when I attempted my suicide oh, wow. and I was 23 mm-hmm. when my mother completed her suicide. Mm-hmm. I, and it was years later, mm-hmm. Brody, that I, I, I realised that and, and shocked myself to yeah. think, Oh my goodness! It really you know, stops you in your tracks. Doesn't it really, it? I just, I yeah. really just went whoa, like the horse stopping. It's just like that's incredible. Yeah. I know what you mean because my mum suicided when I was ten, and when I got to thirty-one, to her age, I thought, wow, she was just a girl like me. She, it, yeah. it's such a permanent solution to a temporary, temporary problem, problem. Suicide. I thought, wow, yep. she's missed out on on everything that I'm looking forward to. And that I've experienced from that age to the age that I am now. Yeah. She's she missed she out missed on out. all that because she thought that that was her go-to. She had bipolar too, I yep. think, undiagnosed. The, the temporary when we when we say a temporary solution, when you're in that state, you you don't see it like that, unfortunately. Sorry, I did I say it? it's a permanent solution, solution to a temporary, temporary problem? problem. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Yep. You you don't see that. No. Yes, you, you don't see the light in the end of the tunnel. The, you know, your shutters around your eyes right. and, and over your ears are there, so you're not listening to anyone. Right. I said it a week beforehand to a group of people. I Googled how to suicide. Mm, wow. Yep. How? You just got that idea in your... Once you had yep. it in your mind, that seed yep. planted, you couldn't yep. let it go. No. It was just, that's the path mm. I'm headed down yeah. now. Yeah, and I laid in the bath on the yep. Saturday night and we were just, you know, we we're trying to unpack. Mm. I unpacked one box mm. all day. Right. And, you know, and I could see that my partner was getting upset. That yeah. I, and, and he was just like, just, just do this box. Yeah, yeah. And I couldn't even, I couldn't even put, unpack a cup. Part of you wasn't interested because no. you were thinking, I won't need all this. No, exactly. I didn't need I'm that. going away. And it's really quite funny because I had a brand new kitchen put in last week and I had to unpack the kitchen and repack it and I did it all in about yeah. three hours yeah. and I went, hallelujah, girl, yeah. how cool you are you? You found your zest for life. Do you know what? What power you've got now that... Mm. You know, five and a half years ago, I couldn't even unwrap a cup mm. and I've, un, you know, I've packed up the kitchen and repacked it and I've got this beautiful kitchen and I'm just so glad I can... Mm. I, like, at home, it's just like I do all these, you know, project manager yeah. renovations and I control all those things and I have this, you know, this go-girl yep. power that says I can reach out to people and, and manage them and speak to them in a way and get projects done and I just love that, mm. you know. So my zest for life is That's definitely there. Yep. But it's, you know, not to say that in the last five years I haven't collapsed again mm. and been back into rehab because I have. Right. But the last time I went in, I smashed my head open mm. And I walked out of that place. I said, that's it, girl. Never again. Never again. That's the last time. This is the last time you either choose to continue this way of life of going in and out of rehabs or you you get yourself together. And I've made a conscious decision to get myself mm. together. And today... But it's not easy to shuck off those feelings of oh, shame no. that you were feeling when you felt, felt, felt like, you know, someone had betrayed you and so then you felt like you'd let everyone else down because that... Mm-hmm. happened within your sphere of influence mm-hmm. I'm presuming and so uh, how have you shucked off those feelings since then and and not let th- you're determined to not let them get you down that mm-hmm. low again mm. 
But I, I put them in what I call file 13. Great. You compartmentalised. You yeah, dealt with them. Yeah, it's yep. this little box up here. So I yep. have dealt with them. Great. Um, you know, I've done a lot of therapy mm-hmm. in between. Um, I practice a lot of mindfulness mm-hmm. and meditation. Mm-hmm. Um, I give as much as my of my own time mm-hmm. to any community that asks me to speak. Um, what I'm proud of in that time is and I will never, ever charge for my services. It's one thing that I believe that I give back to the community. Mm-hmm. If someone can hear my story and it saves one life, then I've then I've completed my job mm. and I'm happy about that. You should be so proud of how so. far you've come. Oh, I mm. am proud. And yeah. sometimes I actually po- – I don't post a lot, but sometimes I post every year my anniversary mm-hmm. and I'll put up the number that I am mm-hmm. and I'll say I'm five years older than I, mm. that I am. I yes. should have ever, ever yes. been. So happy birthday to me. Yeah. Happy birthday to me and how wonderful I am. And, um, you know, everyone in the community sees that. And, um, you know, and I'm like, it's so great because so many people come to me and I'm not here to give advice. I'm here to listen to their story Mm. and purely just to listen because sometimes that's all someone needs. Yes. Um, I'll never give advice because what worked for me may not work Mm. for you. Right. But just sharing and listening can possibly save a life. Definitely. On what they're saying is whether we action something mm. depending upon the words that they actually mm. say. If someone said to me, I'm going to kill myself, mm. I would action at that mm. point in time totally different from someone saying, just feeling a bit down at mm. the moment, Pen, I'm yes. struggling at work, you know. Yes. There's, there's two different... Two different. Mm. There's two different ways to handle it. Mm. One is basically called triple O, mm. and the other one is just sitting and listening. Yes, you know. So, yep. but you know, based on you know the mental health part of things, the other thing that I wanted to raise today was um, uh, a new um, initiative, which mm-hmm. is called um, the Pacer Group. Which yes, that's the Mobile Emergency Mental Health Response Program. Yes, because so you've had obviously had a lot of support family and friends and community programs that have helped you along Mm -hmm. the way Mm -hmm. and this is one that's especially close to your heart? It is um, obviously because you know uh, my partner is a police officer Um, so the PACER stands for Police Ambulance and Clinical Early Response Program and that's in collaboration with St Vincent's Hospital Mental Health Service. Right and what do they do? So basically what they do, um, they're actually only in five areas at the moment, which is Surrey Hills, Kings Cross, Mm -hmm. Sydney City Police Area Command and St George. And then they will go nationally Mm -hmm. um, after the pilot program. It's been running for approximately eight, uh, sorry, six months roughly. So a clinical psychologist um, and a clinical nurse are assigned to a local area command. So when a mental health call comes in, depending upon the level of the conversation from the triple O call, is whether a car is dispatched on its own or whether a car and a pacer car are dispatched at the same time. And are these volunteers that are, or are they um, paid professionals they're that are paid on standby? Profe- they're paid professionals, right, yeah. Okay. And they're, as I say, they're assigned to a a particular police station. Right. So they belong to that command. Yep. At present, the service is run from an afternoon shift through to midnight, which is generally uh, the time where people will attempt to take their lives. Right. 
but uh, they are actually hoping to increase it to a 24-hour, mm-hmm. uh, seven days a week. It does run seven days a week. It's just not 24 hours mm. at the moment. So so what happens if somebody puts in a distress call through Lifeline or mm-hmm. something and it, the police are alerted, mm-hmm. then they'll make the decision as to whether the, they can take a psychologist with them to go and Correct. help. Yep. So right. they will go in a separate car. They have a, a separate vehicle for the PACER um, team and they would then, you know, go out, you know, and with intervene. the police. Yeah, and yes. intervene. Um, at that stage, you know, they it's basically doing a triage on the spot. Mm. So they can actually ascertain, um, you know, what needs to happen next, whether they feel that, you know, the, you know, the, it's not a patient at this stage, but the person of interest can possibly do something in the community, whether they're high risk, whether they need to be transferred immediately. Um, a decision is then made whether they needed to be, like, say, a Section 22 is issued by a police officer, which is, you know, is a, a mental health schedule. So that goes straight to, you know, a transfer to a hospital. They have no say in that or um, an ambulance officer can issue a Section 20, mm-hmm. which they make the decision to take them to, um, you know, a, a secure environment within a hospital. Mm-hmm. And from there, they work out uh, what actually happens. Right. So how they that help sounds them. fantastic. I'm so glad that there's support services like these it's to help people in need. It's finally happening. Yes. We're finally starting to move forward in mental That's health. Great. Um, yeah. Instead of, I mean... The police force are a fantastic force and I I hoped that their mental health training increases Mm -hmm. because it certainly does need to be Mm -hmm. increased. I've been in situations where I've had people in front of me and unfortunately I've had very young um, police officers and basically they've just been sort of looking at their watch, rolling their eyes when I've been trying to, um, you know... Mm wait for a paramedic to arrive, they yes. sort of like, oh, how long is this going to take? Right. So not just the police force need um, further education in mental health, the nation yes. needs, you know, further education in it. So, Fantastic. And we are finally starting yep. to see that. Um, we're seeing it on the northern beaches, um, which, um, you know, we're, we're involved in, both Eleni and myself. And, um, yeah, people suicide even in paradise. Ah, it, that they? they do. They that do. They do. Sad but true. Mm. Where can people find out more information about this PACER program, Penny? Um, I will probably have to just send you some links. So okay. um, I will mention that. We um, can put them on our Facebook page. You can page. actually, yeah, I'll send, you, I'll send you a link. So it is available on the internet. If you yes. look up PACER, P-A-C-E-R, mm-hmm. um, and St Vincent's Hospital, you will find um, mm-hmm. some information there. But Something's coming can... up under New South Wales Health. Okay. Yep. as well, so they must be big supports. Mm-hmm. Um, groundbreaking first responder and mental health program. Sounds like they're doing really good work, informed by real time, acting as a secondary right. police response. Yep. Um, it's really great to see mm. that I'm, I'm sure there has been a decline in incidents. And so that's where um, what they'll do with this, with, this, with the part, as I said, it's still like a pilot program mm-hmm. in that sense that at six months and then again at 12 months, they will actually look at the figures of how many have presented, say, at St Vincent's Hospital's yes. ED, mental right. health units, um, how many came in through the calls of Triple O, how many presented yes. themselves, um, how many came in through ambulance. Um, so if we're starting to see a reduction yes. in admissions, then we know that this pace is actually yes. working. Great. So therefore, they will they'll put it nationally, mm-hmm. which is what is exactly what we want yes. to see. 
And you met our other guest, Eleni, through community mental health programs too. I did. So I was actually doing a, um, a community services um, TAFE course mm -hmm. and um, Eleni um, was there as a guest speaker. And um, she, you know, she was obviously talking about mental health and uh, an event that she was hosting um, that she hosts every year called Behind the Smile. And um, our, our lovely host, Brad Spillane, was going to be a key speaker, a guest right. speaker at Eleni's show. And I, I was like, oh, my goodness me. Um, I was like, Eleni, I know Brad. I've known Brad for 20, 25 years. So we, uh, you know, at the end of, you know, at, at the end of class, we sort of uh, pulled, you know, came aside and we, um, you know, introduced ourselves um, and, you know, had a chat and um, told her a bit about my story. And um, we've... Um, from that moment on, um, Eleni and I were, you'd think we'd been best friends for 50 years. Like, we're just like glue that just stick together. That's nice. We bounce off each other. Um, when we're, you know, we all have our bad days and mm. our good days. And we literally only have to just ring and go, I need to talk. Yes. <laughs> it sounds, yeah, just yeah. hearing a little bit of your story earlier, Eleni, it sounds like you've been through some hard times too. Yeah, you never think that you're going to go through hard times. You know, you just go through no, every day. No, it's not part of our life plan, is it? No, and you don't know that you're struggling because whatever you've experienced, I call it, I saw as my normal. Oh, so I right. didn't know that I was struggling uh -huh. until What I, was your normal? Could you tell us what that looked like? Uh, it's a big story. <laughs> um, so I was married for 21 years and it was probably the last eight years of my marriage that I realised that I was crying a lot more than usual. Right. That was the first indicator that I was struggling but I didn't see the factors that led me to that point as being issues that I was struggling with because they were my normal everyday life. Um, and I didn't know that I was, that I was struggling with depression I knew that my emotions and my thoughts had changed, but I didn't want to show the world those struggles. Right. Because in my mind, like Penny said before, I always had the thought that I have to be the perfect wife, the perfect mother. Um, I was a teacher, you know, be the perfect teacher. Everything had to, from my thinking from a young, from a teenager was that unless you perform, you are not loved. So I was, and again, I didn't know that thought pattern from my teenage years carried on for decades, but it directed the way I thought and behaved. Right. So, so you um, had very high expectations for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Because I had this false belief that unless I was a good enough daughter, mm -hmm. I would not be loved. Right. Um, in my late teens, I suffered from anorexia. And it was nothing to do with body image at all. It was this idea of unless I perform, I won't be loved. Right. I don't know if you've seen the movie My Big Fat Greek Wedding. Yes. <laughs> well, a lot of that is how I felt. And in sharing my story, I want to um, reiterate that I'm not laying a blame on anybody else, but it's the way I interpreted what was going on around me. I have brothers and sisters brought up in the same family. As that, part of that Greek culture. Yeah. Right. That mm -hmm. did not 
respond or react the way I did. It was a, a whole combination mm. of the way I interpreted things, mm. my personality. Yes. Um, so I'm not laying blame on anyone. Mm. I love my parents. I love the culture I was brought up in. Um, but at in those moments as a growing teenager and my brain development and my personality is, is how I interpreted and re- mm. reacted mm. rather than learning how to respond Mm. so um dad's classic line every time i asked to do something was subjects closed don't want to talk about it Mm. so i never learned to talk about how i was feeling i was frightened to express how i was feeling and that grew i grew with that into my adulthood and into my marriage it's really timely that you mentioned that because we went on a big overnight hike with friends and my family on the weekend from mount victoria to pierce's pass on the mm. Bell's line of road. It was tough. And uh, anyway, my husband was really struggling yesterday, Sunday, because it was so hot. Mm. And we had to walk up those walls. It was like 12 kilometres and it was really hard going. Anyway, he was hours behind everyone else and I had to send some paramedics down to go and check that he was okay. No. And um, anyway, he was telling me th- th- about things they talked about later and... Um, one of the guys, he's got older children, and as they walked and talked slowly, uh, he said, with your daughter, don't be afraid to argue with her. It's, it, I know you want to have a peaceful haven at home, but girls need, girls need to know that they can speak up mm-hmm. and learn to articulate their feelings and learn to be heard and, and need to be listened to. Mm. And they need to practice that with you, with their dad, yeah. and in the, in the family at home. So don't mm-hmm. shut her down. Because our, our little girl's only twelve, yeah, and and it was just such good timely advice to, you know, we're not we don't always need to keep the peace and the status quo because that's how a lot of women find themselves yeah. in these unhealthy toxic relationships, mm. and they're not they don't feel free to be able to speak their mind or don't know how to articulate their feelings. No, so just what you said then reminded me of yeah, yeah this so, chat that my husband had with one of the guys who went to rescue him on this bushwalk. And I think in those early years, if you don't learn how to express your feelings, mm. you just don't. You keep bottling them up yes. and then trying to find ways yourself to mm. cope with how you're feeling. And if you're not taught healthy ways to cope, then you develop unhealthy ways. Yes. And Did that happen to you? Yeah, definitely. So school was the only place I saw my friends. Right. I was never allowed out right. anywhere outside of family functions. Yes. So when I finished school... Um, I got a bit sad mm-hmm. not knowing that this was undiagnosed depression right. at that point. And as we know, one of the indicators of a mental health problem developing is change in sleeping patterns, change in eating patterns, you know, the way you look after your appearance and yourself. And I just was eating a little bit less because I was sad. I did not inte- I did not diet. I did not weigh myself. Mm. It was I was a little bit sad. Mm. And when my parents noticed I wasn't eating as much, they said, oh, what's wrong? Are you okay? And yeah, especially I, in a Greek household yes, where there's all yeah, this beautiful, amazing right. food. Eat, eat, eat. eat. <laughs> and I loved my Greek food. Yes. There was not ever, ever a yeah. problem with food. But when they said, are you all right? I just went, oh, you're listening to me now. Mm. And I thought, in my thought patterns, if I start eating normally, are you not going to listen to me? And because I feel that you're listening to me, do you now love me? Yes. So I became frightened of eating 
because I thought if I start eating normally, they're not going to be talking to me like oh, they are right. now. Okay. And then it developed into it, and the idea of eating disorders is body purely body image. Yes, for some people. I understand it, particularly now with social media. Mm. But I had no social media mm. when I was a teenager. So it was never about anything to do with what I want to look like. But the fear of eating was the greater fear mm. that I will lose my parents' love yes. as I interpreted it yes. at that point. And then it grew into the full-blown, you know, I used to do all the housework at home because I thought if I am good enough mm. and performing enough they will love me. Mm. That transferred to eating disorder behaviour. Mm -hmm. So I have to exercise more to feel worthy. I have to restrict my eating to feel worthy. And these silly self-imposed rules that you start to live by. And I often say um, when I talk about this, it's like that line in Shawshank Redemption. I love that movie. Yeah, I do too. My favourite movie too. Yeah. I love it. With any addictive behaviour, whether it's substance addiction mm. or um, I call, I found that this was addictive behaviour. Right. Um, because it was something that I was using that I believed was controlling unhealthy emotions, but then it ends up controlling you. Mm. So that line in the movie where when Brooks is released after 50 years of incarceration and Morgan Freeman, who is red, says, these walls are funny. At first you hate them and then you um, get used to them mm. and then you can't live without them. Mm. And I didn't want to live waking up every single day worrying about what have I eaten, what am I going to do to burn it off, feeling guilt and shame and the stress of... Can I get my X amount of exercise in to burn X amount of calories? I did not want to live like that. Right. It totally changed my personality. They were more cries for help, weren't yeah. they? Yeah, and every um, time someone said anything to do with food or exercise, I clammed up. I was like, don't take this away from me because I don't know how to live without it even though I don't want to live with it. Mm. And it's such a mental battle to live like that every single day because I was frightened of not being a good enough daughter mm. and not being loved enough and it was nothing to do with what I looked like. Mm. So I'm, I'm hoping that the message around eating disorders changes because if they're purely talked about as body image issues, who is got wanting to go and seek help when that is the perception that's out there? Yes. It sounds so vain. Oh, we're living in a very vain world. So we're, much we're more complicated. Yeah. Yep. And Eleni, actually, we've, we've um, I was just thinking about the eating disorder, you know, mm. videos that we've done that mm. Eleni uses as part of um, her training when she's teaching it. Mm. So I also had an eating disorder as well. And um, I was a self-harmer. Mm. Um, in my, you know, sort of early 30s. So that's why I ended up getting tattoos on my arms. So I stopped cutting my arms. I thought, for me being a cutter, it was like I was taking away the pain that mm. I was feeling in my head. So then I eventually got the tattoos to, so I would stop. So I think, oh, that damn tattoo hurt to get. So I'm not going to mess it up by slicing my arms anymore. Right. But we have done several um, eating disorder yeah. um, videos. videos, which, um, you know, as I said, yeah. Eleni uses as part um, of Brace and Growth and in her teachings. Um, and, mm. and, and a lot of that we talked about, not just eating disorders, but 
the emotions, yeah, the emotions behind, of, of it, behind it. That yeah. nothing, nothing to do with why you engage in those behaviours or anything to do with, you know, body image. Mm-hmm. Mm. But for other emotions that you don't know how to deal with and people with eating disorders often have other mm. mental health problems. Mm. So it's not just an isolated thing. Mm. So I physically recovered after three years and what were the men in your life doing at, at this time and how have they helped or hindered you along your journey to now? Good question. Since mm. this is a men's mental yeah. health show, um, what would you have liked them to have done better? At that point, I didn't have a lot of men in my life other than my brothers and my dad. Right. I didn't have a... I did have one boyfriend um, while I was unwell with anorexia. And when I made, I was about to be admitted to hospital and I, I would, that frightened me. And I, I said, I can't go out with you anymore. I have to get myself right. Mm-hmm. And I remember he made a comment and said, I don't want you to get better because I can control you this way. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Wow. And a big part of the eating disorder for me was control. Mm. of what I thought I could control that no one else could control for me. Mm-hmm. So that was I, – I just went, no. Nah. And, um, you know, made a conscious effort to, to try and beat this thing. That, that's such a powerful insight. For, yeah. For um, yeah. And that, uh, um, that at some level um, us men have to wrestle with um, – our difficulty about uh, enjoying our women's aliveness, mm. um, that actually our superiority or illusion of superiority is based on the suffering sort of woman in our life that we've got to look after. Yep. Um, and that was actually um, killing off your creativity and your own um, um, powerful immersion in, in living. So it's a powerful insight. Yeah. And I, th- I sort of want to challenge men to actually think about... Um, how much control do they really, um, you know, do, do they play with or exert in real times or have some idea of that my job is to look after the little lady because she really can't look after herself. Those uh, uh, mm. sedimented beliefs that sort of exist because we've grown up in mar- um, parents' um, stories from the 40s, 50s, 60s, you know, with where that model was sort of prevalent. Um, you know, they still linger on those little germs, those little memes, those little sort of uh, mm. uh, conflictual thoughts. So, um, I love what you just said. Very powerful insight. And Bodhi, while you've got the microphones, hold that thought, Eleni, please. Yeah. Yep. Um, why is it that that these two, Penny Holbrook and Eleni today, and I, I don't know if we just have the gift of the gab, but why is it that women are so good at um, talking about these? really hard topics and expressing their emotions and articulating their feelings and and our journey a little bit easier than some men do. Some men find it really hard to express their emotions and their deep feelings, don't they? Well, well, that too. I mean, um, this is such a conundrum, isn't it? Because um, I think all of us are struggling uh, with um, how do we say what we're really looking for? Um, You know, when Eleni was talking about Actually, it wasn't about body image. Actually, what I was really hungry for was love, mm. uh, acknowledgement, yeah. um, validation, um, see me. Um, and, um, you know, I love that reminder, again, of um, all of us are hungry 
for uh, being held, um, mm -hmm. um, uh, being loved, uh, being uh, treated respectfully, um, uh, um, and, and being enjoyed. Uh, um, so I think that's a universal. Yes. Um, and 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 we and we're missing the mark powerfully uh, often in our conversations between men and women, uh, and um, and. Well, I, I see it in my practice all the time that, that these struggles show up. We can't even explore conflict in a way that is actually an exploration. It's always a struggle, an arm wrestle. Um, you did this and you did that. It's a, it's a game of unrelenting table tennis mm. rather than going, oh, gee, I really want to know how you got there. Um, and, um, and it becoming an exploration. Not to say you're doing it wrong, um, but to get closer. The whole point is about how can we get closer. Yes. Yeah, it's about intimacy, the dance of intimacy. Mm. So I think, yeah, what's what's illuminating for me is that both men and women are also at times struggle with being able to say what's truthfully there. Right. Um, without being held accountable. I feel yes. sad right now. But well, you shouldn't be sad. Yeah, because often well, in the heat of the response. moment, yeah. we're busy defending ourselves. Yeah. Mm. I actually yes. love, I don't love it, I'd actually despise it, is that when you, you know, you say something and the other person completely twists it twist it completely around. They don't hear your message. They don't Gas hear lighting. your message. Yeah. And they, yeah. well, the validation's not there, but then they twist it to make you sound like the victim, which is basically gaslighting. Yeah. Mm. yeah. I mean, and that's just another whole topic. Yeah, Look, if, uh, let me just say, this is Radio Blue Mountains 89.1, and if anyone is listening that can relate to any of the many topics that we've covered already today, uh, you're free to text on 04... 04077666. We'd love to hear from our listeners. 04040776. If you have any questions for Bodhi, our psychotherapist, or Penny Holbrook about the PACER program or suicide or Eleni, we've already covered body image. And uh, Lenny, there's something I'm dying to ask you about too. I have another just before you ask yes, that question, sure. so you hold that one. Okay. <laughs> well, you asked about the men in my life, and yeah. this was not any any men I know, but mm. something I know that influenced um, as I was struggling mm. in the very complicated mix of anorexia. When I would walk along the main road with a girlfriend, um, the the wolf whistles that you would get. Mm -hmm. Even when you walk past construction site, that fed into the unhealthy thoughts of, um, I know that my behaviours now are affecting the way I look. So these um, occurrences reinforced the unhealthy thoughts of, I am valued for the way that I look yes. and the way that I perform. And mm. unconsciously, I know that impacted and impacted um, the rest of my life and into my marriage where I was feeling that I am only loved for the amount of housework that I do and for sex. I don't know if I'm valued for who I am. Yes. And that's sort of the start of the rest of my story. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I think um, men on construction sites now, I think they're aware of... Mm. of you know that it, how it makes us feel. Yeah, that's because and there's the, women on construction yeah, sites. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I think that's why. Yeah. it's and probably and there's a word changed. for it: objectification. <laughs> you know, we're not yeah. we're not just yeah. something. We're not just items of decoration. So mm. and we do have a brain and lots yeah. of other things exactly. to offer yeah. besides yes, body yeah. image or 
skills mm. in the kitchen or whatever it might be. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Take that 1950s apron off. Yes, that's right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Put on your hard hat. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Um, so, Eleni, how did you how did you end up in prison? Okay, so those unhealthy thought patterns and false beliefs that yes. I had from my teenage years, not realising that I was still living with those, even though the anorexia ha- had gone and I'd physically recovered, I didn't have psychological help in my 20s for that illness. So those thought patterns were still there. You're unworthy un- and you're not valued unless yes. you perform, Yes. unless you do this, this and this, your your worth is based on, yep. you know, all these other... Which th- means you didn't have very high standards when you partnered up with somebody. No. And because I, anybody that would love you will yep. do. And I had low self-worth. Yes. And um, as I said, I was married for 21 years and in the last eight years of that marriage, um, all the unhealthy thoughts returned because of a lot of control that I was experiencing right. from my ex-husband. Mm-hmm. And he's a great dad, mm. great family man. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I loved him. Um, but as soon as the children were old enough for me to be, in, to be independent of me and I went back to work is when I noticed mm. um, the controlling behaviours come out. Can I ask, uh, was he Greek? No. Oh, I only asked that I don't, I'm not trying to stereotype but sometimes because my husband's Maltese Italian Mm. and we've been through issues like that too I've been married since I was 18 so nearly 30 years next year and what they sometimes Mediterranean men Mm. uh, interpret as looking after you can sometimes blur into controlling or possessive behavior that we've had to work through Uh, that's the only reason I asked but and anyway. again, I don't want to lay blame on anyone no. here, but this was just my story. Yep. And again, I didn't know how to articulate yes. what I was feeling because yes. I didn't. You'd been shut I, down. I'd never oh, learnt. Yes. yes. So I would clam up and not know how to express what I was, how I was feeling. So I never had a girls' night out in the 21 years I was married. Mm. I started going back to work and loved my job mm. and would come back and talk about, yes. you know, how excited I was about something that happened yeah. and it was, you know, don't want to hear about what you're doing at work. Mm. Stop stop talking to mm. me about that. Just everything that I felt m- was me. Yeah, because you're refinding your own identity yeah. again and getting little feelings of independence and, yep. and well, you have a little bit more power now you're earning your own money. Yeah. Right. Um, it was just shut down. I loved singing and it was like I was slammed for for doing the things that I loved right. doing but instead of speaking up or knowing how to speak up I just started thinking you're a bad wife yes. and you're a bad mother right because the man who is your husband mm. does not like the things mm. that you're doing mm. and so I just started shutting down and not realizing that I was depressed oh. and was diagnosed with severe clinical depression um and then I ended up... What was his response to that? Um, it's your problem. Right. It's your problem. Oh. And he, when I was placed on medication and tried... my The first thing my psychologist tried to get me to do was to talk to him about what I was feeling. And I was so scared, always scared of the other person's reaction. Right. 
So she actually wrote out for me a paragraph, word for word, this is what you are to say. Uh And I practised and practised and practised. And then one night I said, okay, this is it. So I knew word for word what I was to say. And I built myself up and I I said it. And the response was, oh, just up your medication. It'll all get better. And I thought, oh, it took so much effort to be not frightened to speak up. And that was the response. So I just went further downhill and we separated um, and it – we had two sessions with a a, a psychologist together, a marriage counsellor together, nine months after we separated. Mm -hmm. And in that last eight years I felt – I'm, he doesn't love who I am. He loves me because of the housework and sex. Mm. And this is where I didn't know, am I just imagining this or is it real? Mm. And in one set, the second session, he was asked two questions with me sitting there. And the first one was, what do you understand of your wife? And he said, I don't know. I only know when she's around the house runs smoothly. Wow. <laughs> and I went, oh... That was a blow after 21 years. Yes. Second question, what do you miss of your wife? I miss seeing her naked. Mm. And that was when I just went right downhill and eight weeks later I offended. (gasps) Right. Yeah. I'm so sorry you went through all that. Yeah, it was just... I can imagine how you must have felt so demeaned and small and worthless sitting there hearing that mm. and then that led you to make some poor decisions yeah, soon after. Yeah, made a series you of were poor decisions, again trying to uh, create some value in myself. Yes. Wrong, very wrong way of thinking but I've, I was totally worthless. Right. I felt I was totally worthless. Oh. So the poor decisions were based around that um, and I was arrested four and a half years later. Okay. Um, was that a really stressful four and a half years when oh, that yeah, was going to trial in, and yeah. there was co- court, you know, hearings and things? In that four and a half years, I never told a soul. Ah. Um, so that's when I had very strong suicidal ideation because the amount of shame oh, and Oh, the guilt. pressure of that sure. burden. That, yeah, yes. I felt. Um, so it was really hard. Mm. But it was the thought of my children that mm-hmm. stopped me from right. taking my life. Mm-hmm. So when I was arrested, it was, oh, my gosh. I've always portrayed that I am this or have to be this perfect person and now I'm arrested Mm. and I don't know how I'm going to cope with facing this Mm. because I've always felt that I've been the perfect wife, the Mm. perfect mother. How am I going to get through this? Mm. But in one way it was a relief because I thought I have to face this. And not, it's not hidden anymore. It was that hiddenness that uh, was increasing the guilt and the shame and the suicidal ideation. To me, that shows you've got a real inner strength of character because you were like, okay, this shit got real and now I need to face this and work out a way forward. I didn't know how I was going to do it because yeah. I hadn't discussed what happened with anybody. Mm-hmm. And I was... Um, my lawyer said, I recommend you see a forensic psychologist. Mm -hmm. And that was the best thing that ever happened. What's a forensic psychologist? So they are specially trained to um, 
treat people that are going through the court systems and okay. for various offences and, and crimes mm -hmm. um, to, again, un to dig through the underlying reasons for the offence. Right. Well, that's good and that they provide that service. That's, I think, one of my biggest um, messages I want to get through to the community since being labelled with a criminal record, mm. that this person is a criminal, I, will, I refuse to be defined by my experiences, is that um, people only see the, the offence, you have a criminal record. Mm. They don't look at the trauma before yes. or the thought patterns before. Or the potential in the future. Or, yeah, or the potential yep. in the future. They just say, wow, that person's got a record. Yes. Um, so for people to see the human behind the offence, yes. as how my psychologist, my forensic psychologist terms it, is what I hope the community starts opening up there is for many people, and 77% of women incarcerated have had a history of mental health problems, 25% have acquired brain injury, yeah. over 70% have had an abusive relationship, over 70% yeah. have experienced domestic violence mm -hmm. and end up um, with a criminal record and people don't see that trauma before. Right. So um, my psychologist, I had a light bulb moment with her when we talked about um, my teenage history of mental health problems, including the eating disorder. And she said, what were your thoughts like then? I said, my thoughts were, if I don't do this, I won't be valued. She said, what were your thoughts the moment before offending? And I went, if I don't do this, I won't be valued. And it was like, oh my, it was a light bulb moment. It was, I never planned to end up in prison. You don't plan these things. You don't plan to have anorexia or any other mental health problem. You don't plan it. But when someone helps you unpackage the way you think, I was like, I have thought that of myself my whole life. And it was, that was the first light bulb moment. Mm. And I went, why did I not get help early on and not live for decades with this thought pattern of myself? What stops people, Bodhi, from um, recognising these symptoms earlier? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I think it's one of the ex existential questions. Um, you know, why are we fascinated by space exploration um, and um, spend inordinate amounts of money on, um, on science and, and the latest gadgets and all that sort of stuff and manufacturing for... Um, why don't we actually spend more money in developing expressiveness and... and and the literacy about our psychology, mm. um, and um, and really, at, at, you know, make that the dominant sort of kind of um, um, aspect of the human journey mm. um, that we that we understand ourselves, we understand yeah. as we learn to communicate, we place high value on relationships. Mm. Um, so that and we take such we invest so heavily in our physical appearance, or you know, in keeping mm. healthy and well-being, yep. and yep. yet we don't look we don't look at our health as being holistic, as mm. as you know, some some people, not all. Um, I mean, now yoga in the last thirty or forty years, yoga and Pilates and 
mindfulness, it's all coming to the fore as very important ways of looking after our mental health and our overall well-being. But yeah, traditionally, yeah, we need more, don't we? So that we can pick up those symptoms earlier and go, hey, I think I'm feeling like I'm under the thumb or I'm feeling depressed and I need to get onto this before it spirals out of control and leads me down a path to unhappiness. But I'm listening to Eleni's journey. What she's, what you're telling us beautifully, mm. um, is um, the cumulative effects of um, um, caught in that sort of thing of perfection. Mm. That, and I'll, uh, this way, I'll buy love um, as a transaction. Um, uh, how that um, and so so in the end, just um, you, um, the reality of love was through uh, external validation mm. um, that you couldn't love yourself no. um, or, or sit in, in the idea of self-recovery or self-worth that shame heavily influenced um, your whole existence. Yep. And, um, and that it, it, it takes a, um, an event to shock one into a realisation that my whole life is actually uh, is, a, is, a, is, a, is run adrift, and your light bulb moments um, often come out of the tension of who am I? Yep. Um, and then we have have a uh, start to be able to sort of articulate a different idea of ourselves, or we reclaim our original genius, um, which is to say, here I am. The, uh, that's what the, my. Th- psychologist broke our sessions up into she identified I had to identify with her real me Mm. and crushed me and we sort of worked out yeah Yeah. that we I had started I had to write a list what would what is real me like Mm -hmm. and then the list of crushed me was like three times as long and I probably pinpointed that it was from about the age 13 that crushed me behaviors were my dominant behaviours. Hmm. You'd almost so, lo- lost touch with real me. Yeah, If the totally. list was so short. Yeah. Yeah. That's so we, we had to work on getting real me back. Yes. So after um, I had to meet my barrister um, and at that first meeting I had to enter a plea I, and I've met with my psychologist. I was meeting with her weekly and I said, I'm frightened because I had never told anyone the truth. I said, I have to meet my barrister and enter a plea. She said, what would real you do? Mm. I said, tell the truth. Mm. And I still argued in my head, going up the elevator in the, you know, the city. I'm going, but I don't know if they've got any evidence. I don't know, if, you know how much they're going to prove. I could still put on the yeah. facade because yeah. I'm supposed to be perfect. Yes. And I um, got to the lift and I thought, because you know, I have a faith... And I thought, who am I kidding? Mm. I'm going to present a plea before a, a man in a courtroom. But God already knows the truth. Mm. I have to t- be honest. And yes. real me says I have to be honest. Mm-hmm. So that was the first time I disclosed. I entered a plea of guilty. And as hard as it was to do that because of the mentality of you have to portray a sense of oh, yeah. perfection, I it was such a release. Mm. And um, came back to my psych and she said, I said, okay, now I know I have to tell my family, my children, mm. my parents. She said, how are you going to do that? I said, so I picked the people I thought were safest to tell. Mm-hmm. So I first told my brothers and they were 
the their response was, "You're our sister. We know the state you were in. We love you." Were they shocked? I bet you'd no. hardly had a speeding fine before you no, did this never, wrong never, thing. No, never, never, never. But their response was healing. That's good. So that gave me strength to then tell my children. That's because you showed your vulnerability. Yeah. You put your, you went out on that limb, which takes such guts. Oh, and so And said, scary. I've done the wrong thing. I've done a really bad thing. Yeah. Very scary yeah. to admit that you've done something wrong. I can imagine. How many people live their lives holding that and it, the guilt yes. that builds up? So, But the response from others is what is healing. Mm-hmm. So if you are going to continually slam people when they disclose something like this, we're not helping each other. Mm. So then telling my children and their response was, Mum, you're our mother and we still love you. Mm-hmm. More, more tears and more healing. And then the f- biggest fear was telling my parents. Mm. And I can feel the, feel the te- tears welling up now because mm. that moment was so powerful mm. for me. I sat around the kitchen table and I said, you know, this thing I'm in trouble for, it's true. Mm. And m- my very next words were, do you still love me? Because for 40, 50 years, that's all I wanted was to... Earn, earn their love. And um, <sighs> mum just goes, of course we still love you. You're our daughter and we're all human. Oh, that's beautiful. And I thought, why didn't I know this for 50 years? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Instead of believing I had to try. <sighs> and I think how many of us go through life thinking... We have to try and earn people's approval and love. (laughs) But this experience of imprisonment, I would not have learnt that. So that to me was like the gold nugget out of this. Mm -hmm. And the relationship with my parents since has just been amazing. I can talk to them about things I've never talked about before. That's good. And, you know, my children said, Mum, through this we've learnt compassion. Because, you know, it's so easy to judge. I had this judging image of people in hospital and these stereotype thoughts that, you know, they deserve to be there. But when you go there yourself, you go, there's just broken lives. Yeah. So huge gold nuggets out of this. Let's take a quick breather. Thank you. You're listening to 89.1 FM Radio Blue Mountains and streaming live on rbm.org.au. This is the Men's Mental Health Show and Brad is here. He is in the house, but uh, he's let the women in the hot seat this week, which is nice. I'm here with Penny Holbrook and Eleni and Bodie, not a woman. (laughs) uh, very capable and well-known respected psychotherapist based in Wentworth Falls actually um, I've got your number here can I give you a little plug Bodhi as you're taking new clients yes I am at the moment uh, especially um, any couple work couples that want to look look at um, developing their relationship or working through some of the themes that we've talked about today okay I'll call you later (laughs) (laughs) 0424 416 969 if you need a psychotherapist Bodie Masson 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 thank you he is located in Wentworth Falls and his number again 0424 416 969 yeah we've really appreciated having your company today Bodie it's been really hard listening to 
Penny and Eleni's stories of, yeah, just hard times they've come through, but what's come out of it, you both look, you know, you're shining examples of getting up again mm-hmm. and moving forward, living your best life. Mm. Yep. Yeah. I actually find it exciting to go to sleep at night because I'm so excited about waking up the next day. How cool Especially is that? when you have something. <laughs> it's nice. Woo-hoo. Yeah. Right. But you've got to have something yeah. to look forward to, don't it, you? Oh, you do. Because I say that. I've got a 14-year-old son and um, at school they tell me he's a bit depressed. Yep. He's not depressed at home. Not at all. He's flapping around, TikToking. He's never in his room. He's always in my face. Yep. He's very engaged and got things that he's looking forward to all the time. Yep. And I use that as a bit of a gauge. Mm. I think at school he's just going through some, you know, moody teenage stuff. And I take it seriously. But mm. And I love the teacher's feedback. Mm-hmm. But mm. um, when I'm at home, I think I listen yeah. to him talking about what he wants to do on the weekend or yep. what, how he wants to get a caravan when he grows up. And, mm. you know, and I think mm. oh, you're doing OK mm. because you're excited mm. about the future. Yeah. And that's what I do. I get excited. That's Whereas good. Years ago, I would be sitting at traffic lights going, I wish that semi-trailer had crashed straight right. into yeah. me. Not good. Oh, no. Not good. Yeah. Or which <laughs> tree should I choose? Right. You know? So, mm. you know, that was my thought process, mm. you know, yeah. five, six years ago. Whereas and you're telling me you're, you, you, the reason you love this PACER program that they've been piloting in Sydney mm-hmm. to support um, people who are right in the throes of suicidal ideology to the point where they're going to do it and mm-hmm. they can call on uh, these on-site cr- crisis clinicians. You are saying that you're so pleased that the New South Wales government has actually backed it mm. that with money. Mm-hmm. They've yeah. funded They've a actually, lot of... Actually, you know, the, the, the New South Wales government's put in $6.1 million wow. That's great. Um, into 10 uh, local police mm-hmm. area commands and districts. So, I mean, that's just groundbreaking. Yeah, it is something it's to be really excited about because we, we, Australia, we lose, it's like an epidemic mm-hmm. suicide. We lose too many friends and family. And I read actually that um, at least 35 people, for every suicide, 35 people suffer the flow on effects, you know, in, oh, have pretty, mm, are impacted long term pretty badly. For, for every mm, one person mm, that suicides, mm. is at least 35 people that mm. are impacted mm. in a large way. So if we can do something to avoid it, yep. we'd love to do yep. more. And I mean, so far during the program, it's only been running since the 9th of June mm. um, this year, they've actually, uh, the, 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 the time for the police being on scene has reduced by 45 minutes. So, which is unbelievable because mm-hmm. the PACER team is there taking control. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and they're, they're then making, you know, a lot of the decisions, you know, with the police, but it then is freeing up the police force to go on to, you know, to True. other emergencies. Yes. So mm-hmm. They're a finite know, resource that, yeah. you, you so, know, we need. You know, that's, that's yeah. you know, they're, the police are there to offer, you know, mm-hmm. other services, you know, throughout the community. So, mm-hmm. um, Eleni, I'm sorry that you've... Uh, we brought you to tears earlier you, when you had to retell the oh, story. I'm just keeping it real. And uh, I think a lot of the time yeah. when we don't feel we can show our tears mm. is another danger of bottling things yes. up. So I I don't apologise, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I know that, that that point always, yeah, brings the tears oh, on. Thank you for sharing yeah. your vulnerability with us. That's welcome. <laughs> so what was life like in prison? Um, horrid. How many years were you there for? Oh, in 11 months. Right. 11 months. Mm-hmm. But that 11 months felt like 11 years because, mm-hmm. yeah, you do – I did have a calendar which I counted down every day. I bet. Um, but 
to draw to continue drawing on the things that I unlearned mm -hmm. with my psychologist the 10 months before sentencing mm -hmm. um, was extremely difficult for the first you know especially the first three months because your your identity is taken away you're given a number mm. you're called by that number or your surname mm -hmm. um, you're you wear the same clothing as every other woman in prison. So a, a lot of your everyday freedoms are taken away. So you, the potential to slip back and go into the, the bad, unhealthy thought patterns was very real. Because how do you maintain your mental health in, in an environment like prison? Mm. Um, so I, again, reverted and suicidal ideation mm. for the first three months. Mm -hmm. Thought I could starve myself to death here. Mm. But then I thought another light bulb moment as I sat on the floor of the cell. I thought, if I go back to that thinking, I have learnt nothing mm. through this whole thought process. So I went, no, I'm going to start believing all the things that I had relearned with my psychologist to get through the remaining time in here. Mm -hmm. And when I get out of here, I'm going to do something for mental health mm -hmm. um, with the lessons I've learned mm -hmm. and to develop um, programs mm -hmm. for, to break the stigma and to do something for women who've experienced the criminal justice system. Wow, so you've turned around a really painful, ugly, bad situation into something beautiful. Yeah, and I had to, I knew that I had to practice that, the things that I learned in that prison environment and, and the biggest thing for me was learning to speak up for myself. Right. So there was an instance where I was sharing this story with Penny last night. Yeah, I've just written it down yeah. so that we could, Eleni could explain it. Yeah. So in um, the first four months I was in protective custody which meant you were locked up 23 hours a day. So I chose to sign out and go into the main population of the prison and when there was a a window, we, it was called the magic window, where if you needed a new pair of prison issues, shoes or pyjamas or whatever, you could go in that one hour and line up and get what you needed. And I was lined up, I was probably the fifth, fifth in the line and there was a woman in front of me who couldn't speak a word of English. And a couple of young girls tried to come in front of her. And I sat there and I thought, here's your chance to mm. speak up and practice that assertiveness and I went but I was frightened I thought no I'm in prison I might get bashed I didn't know but I thought no if you can do this in here you can do it anywhere so small steps yeah, yeah I, baby steps yeah so I said excuse me this lady was mm. here before you and it was nah she wasn't I said I, I've been here waiting with her and she's been here the whole time nah we had our min cards up there I said no she has been physically standing mm. here mm. and I've, there was a whole lot of... Were you trembling of, in your yes, boots? Yes, <laughs> trembling. But I knew, I thought, I have to practice yeah. what I'm trying to yep. become stronger at. Yep. And a girl behind me tapped me on the shoulder and then I heard the women behind me going, yeah, she was here mm. before you. And they reluctantly went back to the end of the line and I just thought, oh, my God, I spoke up. I put some bullies in I place. I did it. I did it. And the, another woman behind me said, good on you, love. Yep. And I just went... I did something yeah. for my whole life yeah. that I was win. frightened to do. Yes. But for me it was huge. Yes. So I started, I, you know, looked after my mental health by keeping a routine. Mm. 
I woke up and did an exercise routine and, you know, there's no weights. I don't know what you see on TV, but a whole lot of, you know, body weight stuff and empty bottles of water and I kept a routine of exercise, appropriate exercise, Mm. because I knew I'd started dealing with the underlying issues. So it was not inappropriate amounts of exercise. Um, Prison food is... There's no healthy food in prison. There's no fresh... The only thing you got fresh was apples or bananas. No fresh Mm. vegetables. So, again, that mental battle that was tied in... ...that could easily pull me back into unhealthy behaviours... ...had to fight constantly every single day. So I ate the best I could with the food I bought on buy-ups... ...which was... There was a set shopping list every week. A lot of unhealthy food on there... Mm. Um, so there's a lot of things within prisons that need to change yes. if they really want to help people's mm-hmm. mental health. Coming down to the basics that we have in the community about, you know, you eat well, you exercise to improve your mental health mm-hmm. and your physical health, we need that in our prisons. Yeah. Because how are we supposed to change people's view of themselves mm-hmm. if those things are not there? So I, you know, bought tins of tuna and microwave brown rice to eat as best I could in there, but to constantly remind me of the things that I learnt with my psychologist mm. and also the, the visits that I got from my family, my friends, um, the cards that people wrote, mm. colleagues that came to visit me, was that we love you no matter what. Ah, mm. oh, that's beautiful. And that is what strengthened me and and continued the healing that I had to do and then helped me love who I was. Mm. Bodhi, when you look at these yeah. two ladies and hear their stories, um, yeah, what do you see as a psychotherapist? Do you see that, you know, they've come through this stronger yeah, absolutely. and... Absolutely. Haven't I, they done well? Haven't they done well? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I was thinking, um, you know, that, that inability to express... Mm. Um, you know, was a was a past reality, mm. but in the present moment and the, and your future, uh, this expressiveness of both of you is so powerfully articulated, um, and that you you you've got this dual mm. this dual of expressiveness. It's it's so there, um, and um, what an arduous journey to get to that place. Yeah. Uh, but uh, what a um, um, I can't say enough just how much I've enjoyed and uh, vibrated to the power of your story, Mm -hmm. the telling of your story. Both of you is is telling of a story of recovery and of change and of light bulb moments Mm. um, and change moments that said, no, I'm done with this. I'm done with hurting. I'm Mm. done. Um, And I think that's the thing I'm just so appreciating is the the recovery story Mm. um, and um, the dignity in which both of you have articulated that recovery story. Um, And, um, you know, Penny, you you also are saying something like, I can't wait to to get up to be engaged. Um, Mm. um, That that's... Such a beautiful metaphor for mm. um, for recovery, and I, I just can't help feeling that you know we have tyrannous thoughts that extinguish, and we have recovery thoughts that create new life. Mm. Um, and um, and so how do we uh, the, the learning of mm. um, our thinking 
um, is so is so much uh, part of our recovery. Oh yeah. And to do that work of actually saying what is it I'm thinking, this both for men and women, um, and um, you know what are my negative thinking thoughts. And what of my uh, my life affirming thoughts? Mm. And what am I going to privilege? And ultimately, we have to we have to make a decision about what sort of thoughts are we going to give credence to? Yeah, that's uh, right. Yeah, so, so important. So so important. And 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 today, um, that's sitting in my mind of the power of that, and also the power of discarding old beliefs that we have that have become maladaptive. I mean, mm. all of us create mm. beliefs of some sort as we grow up. Mm. Um, and they may have some functionality at, the, at that time as a 12-year-old or a 10-year-old, but they become maladaptive and we, and, and we are required to keep upgrading our sort of thinking. What am I thinking at the moment? That, that is same old, same old. Um, and men particularly, we can fall into to troughs or repetitions that are no longer um, serving us and we, and we need an upgrade. Mm, for yep. the, uh, um, so but then identifying, you know, what where we need to make adjustments yep. and then the willingness and the good intentions, that's all so important. But then the actual willpower to carry it through and Absolutely. to keep it going yeah. and not reverting back to those, you know, to the old you. Well, that's why that's I think we so need to drop hard. the shame of getting help yes. from a professional. Yes. Yes. Because I couldn't have done it without someone else helping me see those because you don't see yourself. That's true. That's true. I, I, yeah, I wish I had a... Um, fantastic psychologist 20 years ago she moved down to Huskisson mm. but I, if she lived next door I'd be seeing her once a week for yeah. sure just my whole life yeah. there's nothing wrong with no, it no for mm. sure yeah well well done ladies I'm really pleased that I've met you today and thank you for sharing your story Penny Holbrook and Eleni thank and you. Bodie thanks for coming in it's been really nice to put a face to the name and <laughs> thank you thank you for your experience <laughs> I'll just um, give out your number one more time as a psychotherapist working in the mountains. We're always needing, yeah, more more good therapists that we can turn to for ongoing maintenance or yep. to deal with mm -hmm. issues that do come up as we change and grow. You know, even you said, Eleni, after 21 years of marriage, mm -hmm. you had a, a, you know, a bit of a meltdown. And it, so we're never too old to learn something new, are we? Or to experience a curveball or be blindsided by something that we weren't expecting. Absolutely. So we, we need good people in our support network. Yes. So Bodie, your number is 0424-416-969. That's 0424-416-969. Look, I'd, I would like to say that um, family therapy, uh, which is also one of my training backgrounds and sort of uh, uh, skill sets, um, isn't used as much as profitably as it could be mm. um, in the exploration of uh, functioning, mental health functioning, if you like, in families. Because it, 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 it only takes um, um, some opening to uh, what a child might need in the family or mum and dad might be struggling with their relationship and need some help with that. Um, but family therapy is one of the most interesting um, uh, ways in which we can open something up and uh, intervene with unhealthy thinking that mm. might be prevalent in all in, in parts of the family system um, in order to turn something around. Yeah. So mm. um, uh, we think of mental health now, we immediately go into individual counselling or group work. But I'm also putting a plug here for, for families sitting together um, and, and having a go at, 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 at um, each being listened to mm. um, because there's some things will come out of those explorations that can turn a family around to 
um, rework a way of relating to each other. So, um, yeah. Mm, wise words. Thank, Thank you, Bodhi. Oh, I was just going to say, just like on, on finishing up on like a positive note, just with the PACER um, program, which is, you know, quote unquote from healthnewsouthwales.gov.au, is that the PACER program will extend into Campbelltown, Nepean, the Northern Beaches, the Sutherland Shire, Blacktown, Eastern, Eastern Beaches, Karingai, Metropo Metropolitan Combined, that's Kings Cross, Surrey Hills, and the City of Sydney, South Sydney, Bankstown Police Area Command with a recruitment underway for specialist mental health clinicians from July 2020 this year. Good to so hear. So that was part of an investment of 73 million. Wow. Um, it's on, good that the government's taking measures. it seriously. Yep. So Fantastic. So that's really something to uh, to look forward to. You know, being in mm. all our local area commands mm -hmm. and having that team on board that can you know help the New South Wales Police Force and. Uh, and help save lives. Mm, thanks, Penny. This is uh, Radio Blue Mountains and it's 12.47. Let's have one last song. And welcome back to the Men's Mental Health Show. I'm uh, just so ever grateful uh, for Bronnie uh, Spiteri, Bronnie Spitz, as we call her here, uh, filling in for me on this uh, very special edition of the Men's Mental Health Show. Uh, it's uh, it's Ladies' Day, and uh, we've got two just beautiful guests um, that have come in and shown a tremendous amount of bravery, courage, strength, all of those things that uh, sometimes we as men boats we uh, we tend to uh, forget. We can look to, um, but they're they're just two wonderful women. I've, I'm so grateful I've known you both for for so long. Um, and I often say to Eleni, she she is one of my heroes. Um, she's inspirational. Uh, both, it, both Penny, uh, Penny and it, Eleni. Are absolutely, absolutely. And you know, Penny and I, we we uh, you know, I guess we we we're both of the same craft. We we don't mind sitting behind a microphone. We don't mind coming out and 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 making ourselves vulnerable. Um, and for Eleni, who who puts together the brazen growth uh, uh, ball, if you like, that's on every year. Unfortunately, 2020 has sort of uh, put that in the blender. Um, but she does some amazing things in the community. And for somebody that, I guess, doesn't have the self-confidence as you and I, she's just been, you know, it's just blown me away. You had me in tears listening in the car. Um, and, uh, you know, you, you are. You're one of my heroes, Eleni, and, and, Thanks, and I mean that, sweetheart. You're a, you're a true wonder. Um, or, as I say, a crusader, I call you. <laughs> um, so uh, just a, another quick mention to um, uh, Dale Hunt and the Mounties Group for helping uh, to have this show come to air um, and the Mounties Group board and also to my good mate Noel Pope down there at the post office in Lawson in the greater Lawson community and, of course, my good friend and co-host Bodie Marzen, who's a psychotherapist. Um, you know, uh, we're just sort of uh, wrapping up this 41st edition of uh, the Men's Mental Health Show and it's been something special. Bodes, how about you, mate? Have you found it uh, to Oh, no, be... absolutely, absolutely, no. Um, very moved uh, by um, such powerful stories of recovery. So um, I'm just basking in um, just how true that resilience is when we, when we actually start to hear um, the, the, uh, the light bulb moments. I just, uh, you know, <laughs> I've had a light bulb moment about their light bulb moments, you know. <laughs> um, that ultimately, um, you know, we, we sometimes say we don't want to change, 
Um, but, that, but actually when we grasp the nettle for change, um, things develop um, and insight develops and the richness, the complexity mm. of individual um, stories that you, that the two of you have told, it's like your, your um, fountains of wisdom um, as a result of uh, your deep living. And, um, you know, um, yeah, for me, in, in the change industry, I've just loved um, the evidence of the uh, growth and um, depth of becoming that the two of you have so willingly entered into, despite um, um, ideas of giving up at some stage. Um, but as you say, if nothing changes, nothing changes. <laughs> we have to make that same. conscious yeah, ab decision, as I did the last time I walked out of that rehab. Yes, I said, absolutely. I am never mm. stepping back inside a rehab ever again. I I and, heard and you. That's powerful. And, and Ever again. Yeah, and that's wonderful, isn't it? I mean, I, I talk about the, you know, the so many times it took me to grasp the idea of, you know, how, mm. uh, you know, what it's about. And, and unfortunately mm. for me, it took several goes. Yeah. But they are designed to have you not come back. That's the whole yep. purpose of, of yep. a rehab or a clinic, mm. um, to do that and to, to learn and to become and to evolve and, and you know, I'll, I'll go to that word that you, you first said, I think, when you came in, you, you, you came to the mountains and you feel grounded. Yeah. Um, and that's such a powerful, where Bodhi often mentions the word, that's the language mm -hmm. uh, we need to be using mm -hmm. surrounding mental 100%. health. Um, yeah. And to be grounded, that's one of the tools you learn or you pick up. Mm -hmm. It's about being in the moment. It's about slowing things down. For you and I, our, our minds are like a you know twelve lane highway. Yeah. It's very I busy. I always say it's mm. that mouse on a wheel, yeah. and that the mouse just keeps running. And I used to say, I wish this damn mouse would get off this <laughs> treadmill because I'm sick of running, baby. Mm. Like I've had enough. So I get feel that mouse off that yeah. wheel, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and I've handed him a frequent flyer card to rehabs. Like, I'm done. I'm done. Like, you know, oh, hey, it's Penny Holbrook again. Like, oh, hi, like, oh, hi Trish. Hi, Mary. You know, like, you know all the staff. That's not a great thing. It's okay, not, so no. I've handed him a frequent flyer card. I'm not heading back. I'm sitting here, you know, in, in front of a microphone with some fantastic people. And, you know, my phone's, you know, I've got my phone in front of me. And, you know, someone's just written, Thanks to you for putting yourself out there on radio this morning, Penny Dearest. I just love hearing you being the leader you were always meant to be. Mm. So thank you. Isn't that just a beautiful thing? That's and, just and, coming and, in on and my phone now. That's unreal. And ladies, what you don't also realise is obviously this goes live to air and it's and you can, it's streamed and then we put a podcast together. Mm. But we are now going into several countries with more than half our listeners from the US. So mm. it's good to see we're leading... An example, mm -hmm. um, you know, to to other countries, and Indeed, that we're breaking yeah. that, you know, mm. that ice, if you like. It's um, fantastic, Brad. So yeah, well, it is. It's it's wonderful, and and I get a lot of comments from from men that say they've they like the podcast, they listen to the show. So, if I could say anything to everyone today, uh, to perhaps go through these forty-one episodes after today, that we cover several topics, um, but if you have any ideas or any suggestions. Uh, why not uh, put them through to me on my Facebook page, Bradley Spillane, S-P-I-L-L-A-N-E, or, of course, Men's Mental Health Show on Facebook. Uh, and, of course, the website, which is www.mensmentalhealthshow.com. Uh, you can also become a member on that website and um, share and uh, create a forum uh, of something to talk about. Uh, and, and, as I said, to bring forward any ideas that you may have. Um, 
like uh, we've done today. It's, uh, it's been, I, I'd have to say, and I, I thought last week was a terrific show. It was. It was very different from today. Mm. Um, we had some amazing guests on, uh, but today has been something very unique. It's been uh, a great idea. I was a little bit hesitant, I guess, uh, you know, because um, one of my sponsors says, mate, it's a men's mental health show, as long as you can bring it back into mm. regarding the men. Well, it's just a fair comment. Mm. Um, but, yeah, look, I also think that uh, you've, You've led by example, I guess, um, as two leading women in the community and, and mm. showing us men how to do it. Mm. And I think it's a beautiful mm. thing, truly. And do. we do validate because there's so many fantastic, beautiful men in our lives as well. So, you know, we celebrate, we do, you know, we do celebrate the men who influence our lives, our close friends or, you know, mm -hmm. relatives around us. For mm. me, it's mainly friends. You know, I don't have, um, I don't have a very big family. Um, and, you know, I, I, like my son, I try to influence, you know, like just for now, he's now a dad and I, you know, I'm looking at him in a different wow. light. Chris yeah, is a dad. Yeah, so Chris is a dad, you know. Oh, he's man, got last time I saw Chris, he was younger than my son. Well, yeah, so, you know, like Brad knows my, you know, entire family. So yeah. there you go, yeah. Chris is a dad and he's, he's, oh, he's got a one-year-old little Chris. girl and I just, wow. she is just like the love of my life, you know. So yeah. they're the things that I just, I just glow for, you know, the days that I yeah. have her to look after are there by things Brody that I just go yeah but I'm like, and, and, yeah. That, and that brings me to a very important word that when we're talking language around mental health and that's purpose mm. um, you know and it's so important that we grasp a purpose yeah mm. um, it's not so much as like a, a goal or yep. a, an achievement but to have a purpose mm. really gives you something mm. it's easy that when you fall into that world of depression to become recluse or to be in that clay pit you try to get out you slide down I mentioned that a lot of times but to find a purpose mm. really does help you. Mm. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, as yeah. I've, I've found, I, yeah. I've got my little dog and I've yeah. got the show yeah. and, you yeah. know, I'm lucky to have so many wonderful Good people stuff, around Brad. me. But yeah. the language <laughs> that we speak is so different now and even with my granddaughter, I don't actually say the word no. Mm. I will actually say, I mean, she's just a delight. She's the quietest little <laughs> mouse. But when she's at my place, like I do have, you know, quite a few trinkets and, and, and I will actually say to her, they're nanny's things and these are your things. Right. So I, I don't use the word no because I think it's a really negative yeah, word no, I see what when bringing from. up That's children. It. So I, yeah. just, I, I change the language in which I speak to her and say these are the positive things that you can play with yeah. but these are nanny's really special items that just nanny gets to yeah. hold and you don't, yeah. you know. So it's, um, it's the language we speak. It's the language we speak to one another, not just to children but to our friends and peers around yeah. us. Um, you know, yeah. It's wonderful. And Language I just, of love. I, I just want to say in closing, I mean, Bronnie, uh, how good was she? She's just amazing. amazing. She's just a beautiful, beautiful so, girl. Yeah. She's, uh, Brilliant job. I, I say, every time I see Bronnie, she's so bright and bubbly. I mean, her earrings today were just, uh, you know, yes. just, that's Bronnie. Uh, <laughs> but she comes on, she's so articulate, uh, she's so warm, she's so caring, she's so kind, she, but she, she's so genuine, she's herself. Um, and again, that's a you know yeah. another word we can put in our toolbox of language. So, yeah. a massive thanks to Bronnie, a, an enormous thanks to my co-host that uh, has come in today and um, and shared uh, you know his thoughts and and chipped in with uh, some ideas. As as I often say, Bodie's always writing. He's always you know thinking, and uh, it's it's uh, it's just an honour to have you, Bodes. Thanks, mate. Thank you. Thank you. Um, to to you, Eleni. Um, uh, you know, I mean, the lead up to this, I can only imagine how um, 
terrifying, I guess, would be a word for you um, to come up to this. Some of those may be terrifying, maybe um, scared, maybe, you know, uh, uh, a bit of ambiguity, um, all of those things. But you've come on and you've done that and you've spoken exceptionally well and it's something that you should be proud of and it's another feather of the many in your cap. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Anytime. I think we should do this again next year. We'll do this uh, Ladies' Day like they do at the races in November. <laughs> do I get to like wear a fascinator or something? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> We've all missed uh, every event in 2020. Well, so when it comes to you, Penny, I don't use the word no. No, no. You know, no. We just say yes. <laughs> That's yes. right. You know. And, of course, Penny, you're wonderful. Um, you know, you bring so much to the show. You've got uh, so much terrific insight. Um, the journey... Um, the, the doors that you've walked or pushed through and the walls you've kicked down, um, you know, you're an inspiration not just to many women but to, to many of us men. So oh. thank you. You're very welcome as always. Love being on the show and, uh, yeah, look forward to coming back again next year. Wonderful. So, yeah, fantastic. Thanks, Brad. Really appreciate the invitation. It's been my pleasure. And I think uh, next week on the show we've got the Chief coming back, Chief Inspector Gary Sims, and um, we're talking uh, all things Are You OK and what he's got on the plate. Uh, terrific man. And uh, thank you to everyone. Again, don't forget to, to look into the website and sign up on the page, mensmentalhealthshow.com. Um, Bradley Spillane, a big thanks to uh, my uh, other host today, Bronnie Spatiri. Um, and we'll look forward to seeing you all next week on the Men's Mental Health Show from 11am 89.1.